you would pray with me before we look at that, as, as we pray, as we go to prayer right before the sermon, uh, just to point this out to you, a long history in our tradition, uh, and when I say tradition, Protestant Christians, we do a prayer of illumination before the sermon. And that's what we do each week. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but we're asking God to illuminate our hearts and minds to understand what we're about to hear from his word. And so let's pray and then we'll open that together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. Uh, we do just confess that we cannot do this without you. So we do pray that the spirit would move in this place, that you would take the eternal truth of your word, that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us uh, exactly how it touches down in our life, that you would show us uh, who you are and the way that you love us and care for us. We pray that we would see you more clearly. As we open your word and we spend time in it, uh, we just confess that you alone are our teacher. So we just pray that you would teach this truth, that you would uh, just apply it to every area. I pray that you would speak directly to each person here right where they are today. And we pray that you would get all the glory in all of this. And so we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I remember reading an article uh, a bunch bunch of years ago, probably four or five years ago, about um, counterfeit money. And the way that the government goes about trying to get that out of circulation and, and some of the processes they go through. And, and what stood out in that article as I read it is the people that are kind of the experts on spotting counterfeits and what it looks like. What they said in that article is that they don't really spend any time looking at or, or studying or spending time looking at the fakes. Right. They just they don't do it because it's not helpful to them. And the reason is, is they just said there's so much uh, in uh, counterfeits that get make its way into our system and, and all around. And, and there's a lot of different ways people try to counterfeit, and they're always kind of trying to perfect that and change that. But what they found is the people that were there to help spot those counterfeits, it worked best when they knew uh, what the real thing looked like, when they were certain of what the real thing. And so they knew perfectly. They studied every detail of our currency and every single bit of it. And what they found is when they knew it so well that when a fake came along, it kind of like jumped out at them as being fake because they knew uh, the, the real thing so well. And, and I was thinking about that, that they don't spend any time um, with the fakes, but only with the real thing. And when we get to the end of Ephesians, as we've been working our way through, we're going to finish the book of Ephesians today. And so we're finishing and we're kind of wrapping up in Ephesians and what we've been doing is we've gotten to the very end here in last two weeks. And then this week has kind of been a series within Ephesians, a series within a series. And we've been talking about what Paul says here at the end where he talks about uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that you may be able to spot the lies of the enemy, that deception and lies and and all these things are going to come at you. And the way in which that we spot those lies, he's going to sum up today as we come back to this idea of taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says you spot the lies by knowing the truth. And he says that right at the very beginning, and then he's going to wrap up this way, and he's going to say that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That there is a, a, a battle waging inside of us. Paul's been saying that. Our, our flesh, our sinful nature... We become a Christian, we get the Spirit of God coming in us, and it's remaking us, and it's changing us, and there's this internal battle that's going on, but there's also an external battle. There's real personal forces of evil outside of us that are seeking to deceive us, to tear us down, to try to get us to go back to our old way of thinking, to, to live in our flesh. 
And so Paul's going to talk about uh, taking up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that we might be able to stand against those things. And so that's what we're going to look at today and talk about, the importance of being able to distinguish between very subtle, oftentimes it's very subtle, lies and the truth. And I would say to you, whether you're looking at this or thinking about it biblically or just in your everyday life, that you know that this is important, that you come against this in all sorts of ways every day, that knowing the truth is important. Uh, I was thinking about it this week, just in this happens at least a couple times a week in my house. Two of my three sons, and it doesn't matter which two because it switches all the time, come downstairs and they tell me that the other one did something wrong them in some way and they're upset and they need to be punished. And then the other one comes down right behind them and says, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. He did something wrong and he needs to be punished. And they're both very serious about it and they're both demanding justice and they're completely wrong and it's not their fault at all. And I don't know what happened, right? I don't know what the truth is in the situation. And sometimes it's very difficult to take on that situation exactly what this looks like. My wife keeps threatening to put cameras upstairs in the playroom. We're going to put one of those little monitors so we can do the the replay and find out. But they get so frustrated, but it's hard because I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know the full truth in that. And so whenever we're faced with a situation, maybe it's relational in our life and, and people are telling us something or you're hearing different sides and you're trying to get to the bottom of it. It's hard when you don't know what the full truth is. It, it affects the way that we operate, and the way we operate with one another. And so it's an important thing that we begin to see what is true and how do we get to that? And not just in our relationships personally in those ways, but even in what we believe about who we are as people and what our purpose is. What we believe about that greatly shapes the way we live. And if we begin to focus on and operate inside some deceptions or lies, it can be detrimental the way we live our lives. And so this is really important in a whole lot of ways. And so we're going to look at what Paul says as he wraps up this putting on the armor of God. And so look with me just verses 16 to 20 here in Ephesians chapter 6, 16 to 20. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I'm just going to stop right there for a second. As we do the as we've talked about the armor of God, we're to the last two that he says here. And he talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today as we think about this. How do we distinguish what's true? How do we get to that? How do we not be deceived? How do we not live uh, in the midst of lies and deception? And so the first thing I want us to think about is this idea of the helmet of salvation. And so he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. And as you're looking at the whole metaphor Paul's using here, breastplate of righteousness and, and the belt and the shoes and all these things and take up your sword to be able to stand because these attacks are coming at you, right? And I don't want to push his, his metaphor too far, but part of what he says here about the helmet of salvation. And think about it as, as guarding our mind and our thoughts and those things that are, that are coming at us in these different ways. And as we take up all these things and you take up the whole of what Paul's saying, the one thing I want you to think about here at the very beginning is that these attacks, there is some power to them. Right? They're real. 
It's not just an illusion. It's not fake. There's actually some real attacks that come at us. And some of the reason there's some power to it is it's often rooted in truth. Now, we've talked about this all the way through. Satan, the devil, demonic forces, forces of evil in the world are going to work through deception and subtle lies and taking the truth and manipulating it. But oftentimes there's some truth in that. The the most convincing lies are ones that are like 98% true. And you go, yes, yes, yes. And then there's one little part that's off. And so when those things come at us, there is some power in that. If you think about it, the things that most attack you if someone says something ugly to you are things that maybe you're a little bit self-conscious about or, or something that's already there, right? Like, like if, uh, if you're a kid, when, when I was in third grade, I got glasses and I had big, thick glasses. And so if somebody had said, like, nice glasses, four eyes or something, right? That, that would have that kind of stung a little because it was already in my mind, right? There's, there's a little bit of truth to that in the sense of I'm already a little bit self-conscious of that. Now, if they say, uh, nice glasses, four eyes, and you don't have glasses, you're like, okay, <laughs> whatever, right? But when there's something there that's kind of underneath it, then that's when it starts to, to get at us. A lot of times because there is some truth in it, right? And so uh, I remember maybe being in like middle school and I would come home from school and just periodically my mom would stop me at the door and say, do you have something to tell me? And she'd just look at me. And sometimes it was like, you'd go, no, no. You know, you'd think about the day, whatever. No, there's, I'm good. You'd walk off and you'd think, does she know something? Right? But sometimes she would say, do you have something to tell me? And I would have just like gotten a test back at school that I did really poorly on or something. And so your conscience is like, how does she know? I just got it. Right? And, and you kind of feel it in that moment. Or if I knew, like, right, if I got in trouble at school and your teacher said, I'm going to have to call your mom. And then you walk in and she says, do you have something to tell me? You're like, yes, I need to tell you. You're like breaking down like immediately because of a guilty conscience, right? When there's some truth behind that, those are the things that actually come at us. And so here's the thing I want you to consider. There is some real power that the enemy has, that Satan has when he attacks you in the sense of he's going to attack you on the grounds that you're a sinner. And the problem is you are a sinner. And so when he says that and he talks to you about your sin and he comes at you in that way... It's true. That's not a lie. That's actually true when he attacks you in that way. Each one of us has ignored God in his world and we know it. And we blow it at different times. And it is you become a believer and you have the Holy Spirit in you. There's a healthy conviction that comes when you sin. The spirit convicts you of your sin and it's because God loves you. He's not letting you stay in it. He's showing you those things and you're aware of it and you become aware of it. And we talked about this. There's a healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit that's a good thing. But then there's the lies and the deceptions and the attacks that come along with that. And so when we blow it and the attacks come, the hard part is there's some truth to it, right? You know you blew it. And so if I, if I talk about uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about parenting and being Uh, proactive and and not uh, stirring, uh, causing your children to be uh, frustrated and angry and and being proactive versus reactive and going in through those things. Right. And then I go home and I lose my temper with my kids and I do the opposite. And now I'm alerted to the fact that I'm a hypocrite 
Just the thing I was saying that God calls us to do and I don't do it well. Right. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction in my heart. That's not the way to handle this. And I'm aware of it. But then the attacks come. You're a hypocrite. You're a terrible parent. You're not doing this in the way that you should be doing it. And actually, that's true in the sense of when I make a mistake, I'm not doing it in the way I should be doing it. Correct. There's some truth in that. And so that stings when that comes and that attack comes. And so there's this disconnect. And we talked about this the very first week, putting on the belt of truth. So the belt of truth has to do with living continuous in our life. The things I profess are the things that I do. And when I don't do that, that opens me up for an attack because it's a clear sign of if I say one thing and I do another, then the enemy goes, aha, what a hypocrite. And that's going to be the point of attack. And so all of us can struggle with that. But here's what I want you to see. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. How is a hypocrite saved? Is it by doing all those things absolutely perfectly and never making a mistake? No. The Bible tells us over and over that none of us has done that. None of us is without sin. None of us has kept the law perfectly. Every single one of us at different times has been a hypocrite. And we've lied and we've done it wrong or we've ignored God and the world he's created. And so the helmet of salvation is realizing the heart of the gospel is that you are a sinner and you haven't done it, but Jesus has. It's what we profess to believe. None of us is perfect and we have blown it. And God loves us so much that the spirit comes and brings conviction to our heart. And we see where there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we do. And then the enemy comes and begins to attack you hypocrite. You say one thing, you do another, you're not living in that way. And those attacks come and Paul says you put on the helmet of salvation. I don't know if you noticed, but we do try to think about these things. But we sang this this morning. But the songs we sing go with often what the passage is and what we're talking about. And so we sang before the throne of God this morning. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood and my life hid with Christ on high. That's the helmet of salvation. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us. And so there is a real tack that is rooted in truth that we are sinners and we are sinners. But the truth of the gospel, the helmet of our salvation is Jesus has done it for us and his righteousness is now given to us and we can rest in that. And so when those attacks come, we see that our salvation is found in Jesus and what he's done. And I can rest in that and I can confess my sin. Right. The healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit, I confess and I find forgiveness in what Jesus has done for me and all those other attacks no longer have power. Yes, I am a sinner, but Jesus has defeated my sin for me and I can rest in that. And so we put on the helmet of salvation. But then the next thing he says there, 
Take the helmet of salvation, then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to think about how these go together. Notice, too, that of all the things Paul says as we talk about the armor of God and the way that he's talking to us in each one of these, the one thing that he tells us that's on the offensive, the sword, everything else is kind of defensive, the breastplate, the shield, all these things there to protect you, your helmet, all that. But then there's the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we take the sword, and the sword goes on the offensive because when the truth comes to bear, it pushes out the lies. Right? Or, or the Bible talks about it in, in light and darkness. When you flip on the light switch, there's no more darkness. We can now see the truth of the way things are. And so when we take the truth and we hold it up, it dispels the lies. It shows us the way things really are. And so it's the one thing that we're supposed to take and it goes on the offensive. And so we can begin to see how things really are. And so when we're talking here about the helmet of salvation and I feel the guilt within and it's true, I'm a sinner, but then the, the subtle distortion comes. But you're a hypocrite and God couldn't love you. And that's not what it's like. You take the sword of the truth, God's word and what he said about who he is and what he's done. It exposes the lies of the enemy. And I want you to think about that and how important this is. Right? We've been saying over and over all the way through this series as we've been talking about it, that the, the main attack of the enemy is often going to be subtle, subtle deception, subtle lies, taking most of the truth and then just tweaking it a little bit to manipulate where it's mostly true, right? All the hardest heresies and the things that we struggle with and the things that are there, uh, you hear people say that are off, it's hard sometimes to, to get to because it's 98% true. Uh, I'll hear uh, uh, somebody come to me and say, what do you think about so-and-so preacher? I kind of went like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> right? And they're like, oh, I really like that person. And it doesn't mean there's bad preachers or bad teachers on TV, but sometimes there's there's some that are on TV in the sense of and the reason they're there is because they're prosperity gospel. Right? If you have enough faith and you do good and you love Jesus, God will make you rich. And you'll be healthy. Right. And so the Bible does talk about there's great blessing and knowing and following the Lord and being obedient. But it's not usually talking about material wealth and when it is. It's talking about material wealth so that you can bless other people. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the big picture in the Bible. And it's very subtle. But they'll say all that. And by the way, you'll be rich. And you'll be healthy. And it's so much of the time, a lot of what's said is really, really good. It's just that one or two percent that makes it a lie. And so somebody will say, well, what do you think? Huh? It says some good things. But there's a few things in there that get kind of tucked away and hidden in the middle of it that then make it a lie. And that's the problem. We've talked about this from the that Satan is a created being, spiritual being, that there's a real being and there's demonic forces, fallen angels with them that have been around for a really, really long time. And they know the Bible really, really well. They're excellent theologians. And they're good at taking God's word and having it be 98% truth and just add a little lie to it. And so here's where it becomes so important when we talk about the sword of the spirit, the word of God. 
to be able to discern, to be able to spot the counterfeit like the counterfeit money, you have to know God's word. I often meet people that are really sweet, well-meaning, love the Lord that I would say are Christians. And I've been told this a lot of times through the years. I love the Lord, but I'm saved and I trust Jesus, but I don't really understand a lot of the Bible. And oh, well, kind of like throw my hands up. Like I just I can't quite get it. So I'm just going to stick with what I know. Now, there's a simplicity in our faith. Jesus calls us to a childlike faith of who Christ is and what he's done. And you rest in that. But we're also called to love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we're continue to grow in that. And it's important, and the reason why, the reason we grow in understanding God's Word and seeking to know what it says, is that when we don't, right, and the Bible warns us against this, Hebrews says this, about that uh, there's some that have been believers for a long time, but they still need a bottle, right? He says they haven't moved past the bottle. And it's his, his metaphor for their, they haven't got to, to deeper truth and they don't really understand how it applies in every way. And they're still just kind of like uh, a teenager, but a teenager who's still taking a bottle. You go, oh, that's not right. But he says you want to grow up into the fullness of understanding what God's word says, because when we don't, we're susceptible to those lies. It's easier to be duped. It's easier to begin to pursue things that the Bible says are not good for us. And so it's important that we can distinguish those. Right? Like when I was a kid, it's probably like four or five years old. My dad used to tell us that he was both Rocky and Superman. Right. And as a little kid, I heard that. Right. Rocky and Superman. I thought, how does that work? Right? And I was thinking through all these things and I came to the conclusion, this is awesome that my dad is both Rocky and Superman. Right? As a little kid, I was like, this is great. But then as I got older and I started to think about it and he started getting, like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. And as I got a little older, I was like, does he mean he played him in the movie or is he saying he's really Superman? Right? Like, and then all of a sudden you're like, this doesn't make sense at all. He doesn't even look like Superman and he can't fly and he doesn't like, you know. And you suddenly go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But when we're gullible, like as a child should be, when we're a baby in our faith and we don't understand the fullness of what God's word says, it's easier for lies to creep in. And so we're called to continue to grow, which is what Paul's been saying all the way through Ephesians. Right? To grow up into the fullness of what Christ has created us to be. And so we need to be able to discern and to speak the truth to one another and to point those things out and come alongside and encourage each other in that. And it's not just a joke with, with, as a kid, but when we, when we do that and we continue to believe lies, what happens is it leads us to sin and it leads us to, to anxiousness and it leads us to heartache and it leads us to, to struggling with guilt and Problems and all sorts of things because we're believing lies. And it's very detrimental to our growth and our life and our happiness and our joy. We're believing things that aren't true. I'll give you another example from my childhood. I have one sister who you may or may not know. But uh, my older sister, when I was uh, a little boy and uh, two of us, me and my brother Jed, uh, she told us that the remote control 
If you pointed at the TV, there was invisible things in it that made it change channels. And we went, yeah. And she said, and if I pointed at you and I push the button, you'll die. <laughs> and we went, oh, no. <laughs> and we were hiding under chairs and under tables. And any time she picked up the remote, we would scatter like, ah, <laughs> right? Now, it's ridiculous to even say that, like that that would mean anything, right? But as a little kid and what you know, and I thought, there is something that's making the TV change. It's possible, right? Now, she's way too nice to let that go on. I think it was like a day or two. And then she finally said, you know what? This doesn't actually kill you. And she finally let us point it at her and we figured out like, okay, it doesn't, right? But what happened? When, When the truth came to bear on the lie then suddenly the fear was gone. It was only when I was duped with the lie that it was fearful to me, right? It sounds ridiculous now, but as a little kid, that was a real thing that was scary. And it's the same thing that the enemy does. And it attacks. And it tells you. And it whispers those lies. So you become aware that you're a sinner. You know that there's something wrong. And then the enemy comes to attack on that. And it can bring fear and anxiousness and struggle and guilt. I was thinking about this this week. I have a dear friend who is, uh, was in a lot of horrible situations in war. And he spent a lot of time in that. And he was tormented and struggled because of what he had seen and the positions he had been in that God couldn't forgive him. Attacks of the enemy. He knew that God loved him and he knew of God's grace, but he'd go back to the things that he saw and he did in the positions he was in and he was tormented by it. The attacks of the enemy. Yes, you're a sinner. And yes, God, and he may even say that, and God is gracious, but he can't forgive you for that. And he attacks on those things and it brings guilt and shame and it produces fear. And so how do you combat that? You pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's Paul in Romans 8. He goes on to say, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Satan tempts me to despair, you look to the one who's finished it, who's already done all of it. And so when those things come in your life, and it might be guilt and shame, it might just be a difficult season, hard times, maybe a a, a loss of a loved one or a crisis in your family, or you lose a job, and the attack comes that God doesn't really love you and He's forgotten about you. That's why this is happening now. You pick up the sword of the Spirit. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We hear Jesus say, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I've overcome the world. And you look to the one who's finished it and what he's done. The truth exposes the lie. But in First John, he says, the light drives out the darkness. And so we hold fast to who God is and what he's done. Right? Those things get exposed and brought into the light when we cling to God's word. And so Paul tells us to take up the sword of the spirit. And then he says, praying at all times in the spirit. And we've talked about that through Ephesians. But as we open God's word and we we seek him and we continue to cry out and talk to him, the spirit of truth will bring out the truth, will show us the lies. And he promises to do that, to trust in him and those things through his word. And so those attacks are real and they do come, but God has provided on how we go at that. He's already won. And so as we finish up this book of Ephesians. Right, hear what Paul says in Colossians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And then it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the enemy and the attacks that will come, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's true that we're sinful, but it's also true that God's forgiven us in Jesus and we can rest in that. And so as we finish Ephesians here, the last thing that Paul says here in verses 23 and 24, peace to you, brothers In love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that despite our sinfulness that you do love us. And that you've done what we can never do for us. And that we can rest in that. That we can trust in that. I pray that when we are confronted with the lies of the enemy, that you would give us through your spirit just the discernment to be able to distinguish between the voice of the lies and the truth, that we would hear your voice loud and clear in what you've done for us, that we would cling in faith to what you've done for us, that we would rest in that, that we would see that more clearly than anything else. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.